Chapter Eight of Futility or the Wreck of the Titan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Weiss. Futility or the Wreck of the Titan by Morgan Robertson. Chapter Eight. Roland, with some misgivings, drank a small quantity of the liquor, and wrapping the still sleeping child in the coat, stepped out on the ice. The fog was gone, and a blue, sailless stream stretched out to the horizon. Behind him was ice, a mountain of it. He climbed the elevation and looked at another stretch of vacant view from a precipice a hundred feet high. To his left the ice sloped to a steeper beach than the one behind him, and to the right a pile of hummocks and taller peaks, interspersed with numerous canyons and caves, and glistening with waterfalls, shut out the horizon in this direction. Nowhere was there a sail or steamer's smoke to cheer him, and he retraced his steps. When but halfway to the wreckage he saw a moving white object approaching from the direction of the peaks. His eyes were not yet in good condition, and after an uncertain scrutiny he started at a run, for he saw that the mysterious white object was nearer the bridge than himself, and rapidly lessening the distance. A hundred yards away his heart bounded and the blood in his veins felt cold as the ice underfoot, for the white object proved to be a traveler from the frozen north, lean and famished, a polar bear who had scented food and was seeking it, coming on at a lumbering run, with great red jaws half open and yellow fangs exposed. Roland had no weapon but a strong jackknife, but this he pulled from his pocket and opened as he ran. Not for an instant did he hesitate at a conflict that promised almost certain death for the presence of this bear involved the safety of a child whose life had become of more importance to him than his own. To his horror he saw it creep out of the opening in its white covering, just as the bear turned the corner of the bridge. "'Go back! Baby, go back!' he shouted as he bounded down the slope. The bear reached the child first, and with seemingly no effort dashed it with a blow of its massive paw a dozen feet away where it lay quiet. Turning to follow, the brute was met by Roland. The bear rose to his haunches, sank down, and charged, and Roland felt the bones of his left arm crushing under the bite of the big yellow-fanged jaws. But, falling, he buried the knife-blade in the shaggy hide, and the bear with an angry snarl spat out the mangled member and dealt him a sweeping blow which sent him farther along the ice than the child had gone. He arose with broken ribs, and, scarcely feeling the pain, awaited the second charge. Again was the crushed and useless arm gripped in the yellow vice, and again was he pressed backward, but this time he used a knife with method. The great snout was pressing his breast, the hot, fetid breath was in his nostrils, and at his shoulder the hungry eyes were glaring into his own. He struck for the left eye of the brute, 
and struck true. The five-inch blade went into the handle, piercing the brain, and the animal, with a convulsive spring which carried him halfway to his feet by the wounded arm, reared up, with paws outstretched, to full eight feet of length, then sagged down, and with a few spasmodic kicks lay still. Roland had done what no Inuit hunter will attempt. He had fought and killed the Tiger of the North with a knife. It had all happened in a minute, but in that minute he was crippled for life, for in the quiet of a hospital the best of surgical skill could hardly avail to reset the fractured particles of bone in the limp arm, and bring to place the crushed ribs, and he was adrift on a floating island of ice, with the temperature near the freezing point, and without even the rude appliances of the savage. He painfully made his way to the little pile of red and white, and lifted it with his uninjured arm, though the stooping caused him excruciating torture. The child was bleeding from four deep, cruel scratches, extending diagonally from the right shoulder down the back, but he found upon examination that the soft, yielding bones were unbroken, and that her unconsciousness came from the rough contact of the little forehead with the ice, for a large lump had raised. Of pure necessity his first efforts must be made in his own behalf, so wrapping the baby in his coat he placed it in his shelter, and cut and made from a canvas a sling for his dangling arm. Then, with knife, fingers, and teeth, he partly skinned the bear, often compelled to pause to save himself from fainting with pain, and cut from the warm but not very thick layer of fat a broad slab, which, after bathing the wounds at a nearby pool, he bound firmly to the little one's back, using the torn nightgown for a bandage. He cut the flannel lining from his coat, and from that of the sleeves made nether garments for the little limbs, doubling the surplus length over the ankles, and tying in place with rope yarns from a boat lacing. The body lining he wrapped around her waist, enclosing the arms, and around the hole he paused turn upon turn of canvas and strips, marling the dummy, like bundle with yarns much as a sailor secures chafing gear to the doubled parts of a hawser, a process, when complete, that would have aroused the indignation of any mother who saw it. But he was only a man, and suffering mental and physical anguish. By the time he had finished, the child had recovered consciousness, and was protesting its misery in a feeble, wailing cry but he dared not stop, to become stiffened with cold and pain. There was plenty of fresh water from melting ice scattered in pools. The bear would furnish food, but they needed fire to cook this food, keep them warm, and the dangerous inflammation from their hurts, and to raise a smoke to be seen by passing craft. He recklessly drank from the bottle, needing the stimulant, and reasoning, perhaps rightly, that no ordinary drug could affect him in his present condition, then he examined the wreckage, most of it good kindling wood. Partly above, partly below the pile, was a steel lifeboat, decked over airtight ends, now doubled to more than a right angle and resting on its side. 
with canvas hung over one half and a small fire in the other, it promised, by its conducting property, a warmer and better shelter than the bridge. A sailor without matches is an anomaly. He whittled shavings, kindled the fire, hung the canvas, and brought the child, who begged piteously for a drink of water. He found a tin-can, possibly left in a leaky boat before its final hoist to the davits, and gave her a drink, to which he had added a few drops of the whiskey. Then he thought of breakfast. Cutting a steak from the hindquarters of the bear, he toasted it on the end of a splinter, and found it sweet and satisfying. But when he attempted to feed the child, he understood the necessity of freeing its arms, which he did, sacrificing his left shirt-sleeve to cover them. The change and the food stopped its crying for a while, and Roland lay down with it in the warm boat. Before the day had passed, the whiskey was gone, and he was delirious with fever, while the child was but little better. End of chapter 8 Recording by Tom Weiss